Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Trump has made it clear that he'd like to silence his critics. He'd like censorship of the media and jail or deportation for activists and people he considers enemies. What would it be like if he got his way, if there were no way to restrain him? Adam Hochschild has been thinking about that. He's an award-winning writer on social justice. I think my favorite of his many books is Bury the Chains. It's about the first movement to mobilize people against slavery. It succeeded at abolishing the slave trade in England in 1807. He teaches journalism at Berkeley. His new book is Lessons from a Dark Time. Adam Hochschild, welcome back. Hi, John. It's good to be with you. Well, you open your new book with a bold and original idea what Trump would like to do to his critics, another president actually succeeded at doing. Tell us about that. Let's roll back the clock a little over 100 years and listen to that president talking to Congress. I'll read you a quote from uh, something he said in 1915. There are citizens of the United States, I blush to admit, born under other flags, who have poured the poison of disloyalty into the very arteries of our national life. Such creatures of passion, disloyalty, and anarchy must be crushed out. Woodrow Wilson talking to Congress in 1915. Amazing. Uh, gearing up for a period of severe repression, in some ways, I think, the most serious such period we've experienced here in the United States from 1917 to 1920. I mean, I'm putting aside slavery, which was horrible repression of a different sort, but yes. when you talk about repression of civil liberties, we always tend to think of the McCarthy era, but actually I think that period, 1917 to 1920, uh, was the worst. Well, when I was in high school, I blush to say Woodrow Wilson was my favorite president because he wanted to end all wars. He wanted a League of Nations that would prevent future wars. He supported the eight-hour day. He supported votes for women. He signed the first income tax and the first antitrust act. And he'd been a history professor and a university <laughs> president. What could be better than that? Then I went to college. Then I learned about the stuff in, in your book. Let's start about his attacks on immigrants. Who exactly did he go, go after and how did he uh, succeed? Several things were driving him, I think. At the one was right from really from the beginning, and you can find quotes on this from the, the history book that he wrote. He was one of the people who felt, as did uh, millions of Americans uh, uh, at that time, who were descended from uh, 
people who'd been here for a few generations who were mainly of, of British and German stock. They felt the, the country was being polluted by all these unwashed immigrants, poor Jews from Eastern Europe, people from Southern Italy, uh, and the, you know, the Irish uh, Catholics, and that this was changing the sort of Anglo-Saxon America that they had always uh, imagined existed. But of course, America was never all Anglo-Saxon. There were Native Americans here, there were enslaved Africans here, and so forth. But that was part of what was driving him. Then, two other things happened. The United States entered the First World War, and that unleashed a tide of nasty, patriotic chauvinism such as we've never really seen here. There's nothing like a war to sort of get people whipped up against, you know, imagined subversives everywhere. And then fast on the heels of that, in fact, almost simultaneously came the two stages of the Russian Revolution, culminating in uh, November 1917 when the Bolsheviks uh, seized power. And the people who ran the United States, the captains of industry, you know, the presidents, senators, and so forth, were terrified that something like that might happen here, as were governments all over Western Europe. And that really increased uh, the repression. And I, as I say, I think it was the worst civil liberties crisis that the U.S. has ever seen. So censorship of the media, of course, is another one of Trump's uh, dreams, uh, Woodrow Wilson actually succeeded, you point out, in Lessons from a Dark Time. How did he do it? He he uh, got Congress to pass, pass laws giving him the powers to do these various things. The person who was in char charge of his assault on the media was Sidney Albert Burleson, who was the Attorney General, uh, and uh, sorry, the Postmaster General. Why the Postmaster General? Because the Postmaster General could regulate what traveled through the mail. And newspapers and magazines of all kinds, uh, uh, you know, especially those that were, you know, weeklies and monthlies published by political organizations, depended on the mail to reach their subscribers. And Burleson, uh, either censored whole issues of various publications or shut down uh, either censoring single issues or shutting down entirely 75 different publications over the wow. course of that three-year period. And they were particularly afraid of publications that were published in languages other than English, of which there were a lot because there were yeah. so many recent immigrants from Europe who preferred to read something in Serbo-Croatian or German or Italian or something else. And they passed a regulation saying that any of these foreign language publications, if they published anything to do with the war or commenting on the U.S. government or on one of the allied powers, that had to be translated into English and shown to the post office before it could be sold, before it could be, 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 mailed. be mailed. And, of course, that was a, a ruinous expense. And, uh, you know, a lot of these publications just shut down. And for English-language publications, what were they targeting? What did they not allow to go through the mails? Well, they were very vague about it. They said... You know, anything which, which questions the war effort or, 
cast doubt on our allies. And Burleson refused to spell these things out in more detail. A delegation of lawyers, including Clarence Darrow, went to see him, but he didn't want to give them any more detail because, of course, any kind of edict like that is more threatening if it's vague. Yeah. Um, what they were really afraid of were, were two things. One would be anything that would threaten the war effort, mm-hmm. and closely related to that, anything that would uh, you know, help uh, foment strikes, uh, the militant wing of the labor movement, the group that above all uh, the government wanted to crush and really did succeed in crushing was the Wobblies, the Industrial Workers of the World, the IWW. Uh, they put more than 100 Wobblies on trial, brought them in freight cars from uh, all over the country to Chicago. They had a months-long trial, uh, sentenced them all to long terms in prison, uh, raided uh, simultaneously one day in 1917 four dozen Wobbly offices all over the country. All the offices that the group had confiscated tons and tons of material, Never gave it back. Uh, several years later, it was always it, it was uh, burned. So mm-hmm. wobbly history literally went up in smoke. Well, we need to find out what lessons can be drawn when American democracy was undermined so dramatically by the president. We're interested, of course, in the parallels to our own time. How come Wilson? was able to succeed so thoroughly, why wasn't there more effective opposition? And how does that, I mean, today it seems like there's a lot of opposition to Trump in a lot of different places. There is. And I'm actually, uh, paradoxically, despite these Trumpian times we're living in, I have a little more faith in the system of checks and balances working today. Uh, than I would have in 1917-1918. One reason is that we are not engaged in a full-scale war. Wars are always terrible for civil liberties. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, yes, we do have troops, you know, fighting in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and so forth, but it's not the kind of overarching all-out effort that the world wars was. So I think that has made a different atmosphere today. Um, But I think another uh, lesson we can take, besides making sure those checks and balances uh, function well, is that the media has to be really, really skeptical. Uh, And I feel the media is a stronger voice for truth today than it was in that period, 1917 to 1920. You look at how the media covered the repression that went on because there were literally thousands of radicals who were arrested in that period and sent to prison. Rarely in the mainstream press of the day, which meant daily newspapers, and we still do have a few of them left yes, today. Me too. Uh, mainly the mainstream press went along with this, cheer-led for it, uh, you know, didn't, didn't protest in an outspoken way. So I think the media is tremendously important. Another lesson that I took is that, um, you know, sometimes a determined person who may not be at the top of the bureaucracy but is somewhere in the middle can, by following the law and his or her conscience, really have an effect. 
Now, extreme right-wingers would call this the deep state. Yes. But there was an interesting example uh, in 1919-20. There were somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 undocumented uh, immigrants who were arrested during that period. This is the, the period of they call the Palmer Raids, named after Attorney General A. Mitchell Palmer. The government wanted to deport these people. These were folks who were immigrants. Some of them had not gotten naturalized properly as American citizens, or the government was able to find some sort of fault with how they had been naturalized. They arrested somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 people. Palmer was assisted by his deputy, J. Edgar Hoover. Mm. Uh, the Justice Department had the power to arrest these people and lock them up you know, for weeks and months at a time. But deportations were controlled by the Immigration Bureau, which was under the Department of Labor. And there there was a guy named Louis F. Post, who was a progressive former newspaper man, uh, sort of inconspicuous-looking guy with rimless glasses and a Van Dyke beard, uh, and he followed the law. And he was able to stop about half of these de deportations. He canceled search warrants. He restored habeas corpus rights for people who were detained, uh, reduced or eliminated bail for many of them. It earned him the undying hatred of J. Edgar Hoover, who unsuccessfully orchestrated a campaign by the American Legion for post-dismissal. When that didn't work or, or tried to organize people in Congress to impeach post uh, that didn't work either, and this guy Post was able to pre prevent about 3,000 people from being deported. So sometimes a middle-ranking bureaucrat, you know, who follows the law, follows conscience, can actually do something good. Adam Hochschild, his new book is Lessons from a Dark Time. It's a collection of essays about people who took a stand against despotism or spoke out against unjust wars and government surveillance and who fought for a more just world. Adam, thanks for talking with us today. It's always a pleasure, John. And voices like yours, we need them more than ever these days. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.